This is Rugger Matrix America. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff, editor of Goff Rugby Report. Rugger Matrix America is brought to you proudly by Aircraft Charter Solutions. We have our regular guys with us. Uh, we didn't blackball them this time. Uh, Pat Clifton's here. Bruce McLean is here. And much more importantly than whether any of us three are here is that we do have a very special guest, and that is USA Men's Sevens National Team coach Mike Friday has taken the time uh, out of his uh, the two jobs that he has uh, to talk to us. And, and Mike, uh, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you very much for, for being with us. No, thank you very much for inviting me to join uh, well, we're happy to have you here. I mean, it's 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 really good news. We're calling. We're talking about this uh, right after uh, the USA won the London Sevens, and this is the first win in the IRB World Series, first full tournament win for the United States, um, and it is a, a huge accomplishment because I think. Most everybody will agree that not only did you win, you won going away. You actually um, blew out some teams. So um, I, I guess the first thing is, for, for me, was there some kind of magical change between Glasgow and London, or was this just uh, you know part of your progression? Um, if I'm honest, I think it's, it's probably part of the progression. I mean, I sat the boys down before Glasgow and said, look, I had a good feeling we were in a good place and moving in the right direction. I would have taken that next, that next step if you're prepared to believe in yourselves. Um, obviously, uh, Glasgow didn't start particularly well, but that kind of <laughs> typified the, the brutality of sevens, that if you're slightly off on your game and you're slightly uh, awry on certain things, be it your preparation, be it your concentration, be it your skills, then you, you get taught a lesson, and we got taught that lesson by Canada, 40 points to nil. Um, but what you saw after that was the character and, and, the, and the belief and the grit to fight our way back into a tournament. And, and I have to be perfectly honest, and, and I spoke to Carlin after that semi-final against Fiji, and had Carlin taken his opportunity, then we would have beaten Fiji in Glasgow. Um, and that's a bold statement, because that's, you know, Fiji have been the best side on this series um, that is proven by the fact that they've won it. But when I look back at that game, we put Carlin away twice on the outside and he didn't take the chances that he would normally finish and he did a weekend later. Um, and that was a tough lesson, not only for Carlin, um, because he, he's a very honest chap and, and, and he looked at his game and realised that there weren't things that went according to plan and then he rectified that the following week. And uh, it just gave me a, a kind of a, a little bit of an an insight into kind of where we were and we trained well on that that week leading into London um, but what you saw on those two days was when we get it right and we have the self-belief and the confidence we have the balance and the mix in the squad of power, pace and physical um, and it's a powerful cocktail and I've always said it's not about picking the best 12 players it's about picking the best balanced 12 and um, every one of those players contributed fully in that weekend I want to ask you about a, an individual performance on the weekend, and it's a guy who you went on record to say the weekend before should have been, you know, invited or named in the uh, the dream team, and that's Madison Hughes. I I don't think there's any doubt that he was the best player in London, and he got his uh, the accolades to say he was. 
But, uh, I mean, just played out of his skull and took it upon himself to make some things happen that even have been rare to see him do. And just about – tell us a little bit about the progression of him as a as – a, you know, I think everybody was surprised when you named him as captain at the beginning of the year. And uh, you couldn't have been uh, proven more uh, right in doing so throughout the year. And just about him and his maturation and, and, and how he's become really one of the best players on the, on the series and, and his performance in London. Yeah, I mean, you know, Madison doesn't get the, the kind of the, the accolades he deserves because he does all the all the horrible and the unseen work. I mean, he scored a, a shed load of tries this season for a half-back. He's made a, a number as well. So his defensive work, his cover tackling, his ability to get turnovers at critical times seems to go unnoticed. And that's the biggest part of his game. And, you know, what I, what I noticed about Madison is, and I watched Madison when he first came onto the circuit and, and he caught my eye then, um, just because he's such a selfless player. And that was my, my observation from watching him from afar. And then when I got to work with him, you could see that, that he understood what it, what it really, really meant to be part of a team and how to be selfless within a team environment. And that was a, that's a critical ingredient we needed within our squad. That coupled with the fact that he is very, very intelligent, not only kind of you know, academically, which we, which we talk about, but also his emotional intelligence, his ability to understand and empathise with the eclectic, cultures that we have in our squad and that typify and, 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 are, and are part of America. This the DNA of America is the fact that it's such a cosmopolitan population. And Madison's able to connect and, and, and get the respect of, of all the differing characters and personalities that we have in the squad. And that's, that's a, a unique bond that is down to his personality and his EQ. And that has just grown through the year. And when he talks, they listen. And he's not a shouter. Um... And he chooses his words differently. He compliments me very, very, very much so. They're very, very different characters. Um, and he leads. And they follow. Um, and I, I saw those traits early on. Chris Brown saw those traits early on. And this is while he was a remote player. But, you know, the thing that was, that's always been kind of bemused me by people, so he's the youngest player in, in, in the squad. And I'm like, I never knew that. <laughs> and, it, you know, age, age, is, age is not a reason not to give somebody the armband if they're the right man to give, to give the armband. And whether you play one cap or a hundred, it's who's the right time, the right person for this team. And, you know, we, ha- we have been proven right, but, you know, Madison has proved us all kind of right to believe in him. Um, and, you know, I think he was, he, he was rightly named player of the tournament and rightly named in that dream team. But I, I am at a loss as to how he didn't make the season dream team with the performances he's put in. I mean, the only thing you could probably say he could do better is kick his conversions. But had he kicked his conversions, he'd have been the top point scorer of the season as well. So, you know, he's a young man with a, with a big, big future um, for USA 7s. And I'm pretty sure he could graduate into the 15s for the USA as well. I think he's, he's, uh, he's got the potential to become a very good nine in 15s. It means he'd have to change position, but I think he's got, you know, all the, the core attributes required. You talked about balance and how you build the team through balance. Could you take us, give us a, an example of what you would look for in a balanced team and how you can have the, your team bring out the best in each other, it, just from a visual yeah. standpoint from you? Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very, our, our balance is, 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 is pretty clear to see. I, I like to go with two resources so that you can maintain the pace on the pitch. I need to have steppers in my team that can carry the ball and also create 
opportunities, and that's where I see Maka and Martin Yusefo, um, and Testy can fulfil that role if needed. Um, and then I like to have a balance of three half-backs, and I have that in Madison, Salau, and Nate. All are interchangeable at nine and ten. And then I have this physicality up front where I have the bruisers that can carry, in Bender and Drew and in Barrett. Um, but I also have the aerial skills as well. It's a big attribute of, of USA teams as well as our, our aerial skills, but that's across the board. Um, we probably struggled at the start of the season to make advantage answer that uh, consistently like we wanted to but you know you started to see towards the end of the series that our, our ability in the air was starting to pay dividends so I like to have a balance between those those guys that can carry with power that are prepared to do the hard work in the breakdown um, but also have the ability to step and carry in the middle of the pitch and also then that's in our pace out wide which uh, which allows us to stretch defences. Is there a deal breaker for you, Mike, in terms of a, if a player doesn't perform a certain type of skill, you just you, you can't use him? Um, There's deal breakers on characteristics and the way that you conduct yourself in the squad. Um, but I don't expect any player to be 100% brilliant at everything because you've got to compromise. You know, if they're, you know, let's take Carlin to an extreme and Perry. I mean, they are X Factor. I mean, they are box office finishers but they're not going to be the physicality and the tacklers that you see in Bender and Barrett and you know for me I think it's about having a balanced approach to what that player's attributes are and what do you want him to do what do you want him to fulfill in that team and then with that you have to take his his weaknesses or the areas that he needs to work on as, as part of that package and too often we're very good at saying what a player can't do rather than this is what the player can do and this is what he can contribute. And if they understand what they can contribute and what they can do and they recognise where their weaknesses are but they can see how they complement a fellow player in the squad and how they can help and cover one another and, 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 and get through the work together, then once you get that buy-in between them and they don't see that as because um, they're negative, then you start to see the confidence build and you start to see their identity of how they fit in becoming apparent. And if, as soon as that penny drops for them, then they feel comfortable. And when you feel comfortable, then you can drive performance. I'm curious, Mike, um, you know, about just kind of your perspective from the Eagles from the outside over not just when you were, you know, first considering taking the job, but over the last three or four or five years and, and how it compares to, you know, maybe what your expectations were based on that perspective and, and how this year, how they've changed over this last year. Um, you know, obviously... Other than Perry Baker, really, and, you know, a couple of guys like Matai and, and, and Martin, a lot of the other guys you either coached against or saw on the series, including Carlin, and you kind of knew what was on, you know, what you were kind of inheriting in a lot of ways. Um, but those guys weren't as successful previously as they, as they were now. I mean, I just how do you how do, can you look back at what some of your expectations were and perceptions of the U.S. 7s team um, – prior to having the job and now after a year on it? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm brutally honest, when I used to watch from afar and, he knew, and I used to do the commentary, and I, I, I couldn't understand what they were trying to achieve and what they were trying to do and how they were trying to play. It was very apparent that the players didn't kind of know, but they were all trying to do it themselves individually. And they were playing for themselves individually. So they thought they were a part of the team, but they, they weren't. They were just individuals within a team that were just trying to do their bit. And if it didn't work for them, they'd shift it to somebody else. 
and unfortunately, the, the the beauty of sevens is that you have to be at one on the on on the on the paddock. And if you're at one on the paddock, then you're not busy fools. You're efficient with your work ethic. You don't get tired, and then you can break teams down and make them tired. And I always I couldn't work out because you know I watched Danny Barrett and I thought God he's a handful. I watched Madison selfless. I see Testy. I see Carlin. I see all these boys, and I and I couldn't I couldn't work out. I was like, well, what, why are you boys not? doing better than you should be doing. You know, you should be doing far better than you are at the moment with the athletic ability you have. Technically, actually, you're not bad players. And what I mean by that is the hand-eye coordination, the skill sets that they obviously pick up from doing all these other sports um, are there to see. But what was really, really missing was their tactical understanding of what to do and how to do it and why they're doing it. Um, and that coupled then with that mental resolve, which was... Was, was ebbed away very quickly when it didn't go their way. So for me, I, my perceptions coming in was that this is a team that has potential, has capability, but I didn't quite know, you know, what that was or what that meant or what that looked like. And it only was only when we got in and we thought, you know, we need to, we need to meet these guys, and they were good guys, but the environment was all wrong, their approach was all wrong, their understanding and their attitude towards being a professional rugby player. They needed education. So it wasn't that they weren't willing, it was that they didn't know. Um, so, you know, we had some tough times to start with. I mean, I, I, won't, I won't hide from that comment. You know, there'd be times where I gave them the freedom to speak to me and speak at me and, and shout at me because the reality is it's, it's a two-way street and it's not the coach being the player and, and the coach is always right. It's about finding your, your, your environment and your team ethic together. Um, and that was new for them because they're used to, and I, and I don't know if this is a, a common theme in America, is what coach says, coach gets. And I don't operate like that. Yeah. I'm very much, of, um, I'm very much of the, of, of the mindset that it's our team, it's not my team, it's our team, it's not your team, it's our team. So we've, only, we've got the best intention to grow that team together, which means I won't get it right all the time like they don't. And I have to be big enough to say, look, we can do it your way, if that's what suits you guys, because there are some certain non-negotiables, and then there are things that you, as a coach, you have to you have to mould yourself around them to get the best out of them, so we can get the best results. And that has been interesting for them and me, because the one thing I never realised about America was how big it is, <laughs> yeah, and how and how eclectic and cosmopolitan the populations are. I mean, for me to be, to, I think one team we had nine cultures. I mean, normally when you're coaching, you can apply the 80-20 rule. You can't do that when you're you're coaching the, the USA 17 and, and probably the same with the US Eagles because there are such a eclectic group and you have to be bespoke to each one of them to get the best out of them and recognise what they need individually and how that blend fits in with the group. So that has tested me um, immensely in terms of you know understanding each one of the individuals and, and what drives them and makes them tick. Mike, that seems to be something. I mean, you just said you spend a lot of time on that. That that seems to matter to you a lot. Uh, you know, I, we we all all three of us on this show have, have observed the different coaches and and the ups and downs of the team dynamic in the seventeen. There are little elements of the things that Al Caravelli did right and Alex Magleby did right and Matt Hawkins did right that are filter are still filtering through onto this team, which is great, but. The, the different personalities, that's what strikes me is that there were players on the team, uh, Mako Nufe, Garrett Bender, Carlin Isles, uh, 
uh, Falao Niua, who at one time or another seemed very unhappy either with their role on the team or being on the team or what they were doing. And yet you've brought those guys back, and not only are they back on the team, some, I mean, you know, everyone's talking about the different Maka Nufe and how great he's been playing from a guy who just seemed like he wasn't even sure he wanted to play rugby. So is, you seem to, I don't know if you enjoy that, but you seem to immerse yourself into that aspect of it. And I don't know how much time you spend just talking one-on-one with these guys or um, figuring out what's inside their head, or is it, is it something more, more general? No, I mean, you're right. We're very bespoke, we're very specific, because for me it's about making them feeling comfortable being in the environment we're in and feeling supported and safe. And when they feel supported and safe, they feel comfortable, and then they drive performance. And that, that's very, very important for some of these players. Like Maka, it's very important. For Carlin, it's very important. For Bender, it's very important. For, for Falau, these are all complex characters. And it's, it's, not, it's not just a question of me. You see, what we, what we work very hard as a coaching team is that sometimes it's not right for me to be the person to speak to them. It might be Chris. So we switch and we move around to get the best out of those individuals. But what we do is we spend a lot of time working with them to, because we're there, to, we're there to serve them. We're there to create and make them the best we can make them. Because if we can do that, then we can create the team. Then we can win. So we align all of our interests. I mean, first and foremost, we've got, to, we've got to earn their trust. Once, and we, you know, we work hard to earn their trust and give them consistency in environment and what we expect of them because all rugby players are like, all, all boys are the same, whether they're 18 or whether they're 28, whether they're 40, whether they're 60, but they like to know what their role is. They like, they like to know where they're going and what they're doing. And like all, all boys, we all like boundaries. And we give them boundaries, but we allow them to move around them. And like all boys, they're always going to try and step over the boundary lines. And then it's that consistency of whether they're the star player or the new player we're not interested. If you step out, if you step outside the boundaries, you get put back in. And if you don't want to come back in, then that's a decision you make. So it's a real empowerment and ownership, but within a very safe, consistent environment, so that these players feel comfortable to challenge us, to ask for support, ask for help, in order that they can get the best performance that they can, in order to to do the best they can for the Eagles, the flag, the badge, their families, whatever it represents for them. So, you know, it's, it's not just me. We're, we're, we're quite a, uh, a community coaching group, and it's not just me and Chris and Phil. We've also with Brian Green, who's on the medical side. You know, we, we push and pull to get what we need and what the player needs um, to try and get the best out of them. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a real team effort um, from, from all of us, but it's a big part of what I believe in, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge part of our environment. Um, that I've insisted that, that, that we work very hard at. You've ended your uh, tenure at London Scottish after this season. How's that going to, now moving forward in the Olympic qualification and, and, uh, and Sevens World Cup coming to the United States, what is, what's the, the game plan? I don't mean the game plan on, on the field. What's the... Uh, the logistics of what's going to be happening with the players to, to prepare for all that. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you know, everyone at the start of the season when I, I was doing that London Scottish, I, I'd agreed to do something like that, which I needed to see through. And I, But by the same token, I was always going to be stepping away from that in order to, to focus more on the, 
on 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 the USA, um, and you know we we still believe in performance cycles, um, so not a lot will change with the program um, in terms of whether I will be more in in the USA as opposed to to the UK um, will be dependent on what the program needs and what the players need, um, because sometimes you can have too much of something. Um, and then that can have a negative effect. So we have to balance the performance of the program right, but more importantly, we've got some other things that we need to, to strengthen and improve. We need to we need to strengthen the pathway. We need to find we need to strengthen the talent pool um, and create competitive opportunities to, to create competition to within the squad. Um, and I, I also I'm, I'm a big believer in I, I, I need to get these players to have other things in their life apart from rugby. So I'm trying to I'm trying to encourage outside interests in, you know, rugby business networks and, and so forth so these guys can plan as well and for, for their families after life after rugby. Um, so there's a number of initiatives that I'm, I'm keen that we can we can get up and running which will be a part of the support structures in, in order in order that they can then be more rounded individuals which will make them better rugby players and make them train more efficiently and effectively on our performance cycle program um, you know so they're the types of things that we're going to be looking to, to, to move forward as a group like all things we need to we need to find more funding for that um, and that's a big challenge for, for Alex Nagelby in his role you know he's done fantastic work behind the scenes and the relationship between me and Alex is, is, is brilliant because we complement one another um, and we've got a strong, honest, trusting relationship, and we both want the same things. We want a, a, a strong, powerful sevens program um, where these these guys are developing into men um, of substance, both on the pitch and off it. Mike, I'm curious about the the setup and your mindset going into the qualifier in North Carolina here in June. Um, I don't know how much experience you have watching or coaching against or what you know about these other North American Caribbean teams that are going to be in the tournament aside from Canada, but when USA and Canada play these teams, they're usually walks in the park and, and not walks in the park. Like, you know, you beat Japan by 28 points in the world series. Um, but Japan can also, you know, have you down at half. I mean, true walks in the park, traditionally speaking, I'm not, you know, so, how do you approach a tournament like that? And have you ever even really been in a tournament like that where you you know that unless something goes like drastically wrong, it comes down to that one game at the end of the at the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't I haven't I haven't coached in the tournament. I've certainly played in a tournament like that back in the old days in Amsterdam. Um, day one used to be like that. Whereas if you were a serious seventh team, you used to play these pub sides, and it'd be 80, 90, 100 points, and it, you know. A very very different environment. I mean, I think for me the reality is that the whole qualifier thing scares me and makes me nervous. And the reason it makes me nervous is it's going to come down to 14 minutes of rugby. You know, we're going to play these other nations. Of course we are. Um, and I've got to manage the squad to make sure that they're they're not complacent, that they don't get into habits in those games, um, that they get match ready, um, and we don't pick up any unnecessary injuries in order to, in theory, have this big game against Canada. But it's going to come down to 14 minutes of rugby and, and that can be the lottery in a game of sevens because, you know, we could just... One of the teams could slightly misjudge a kickoff, get sent off, be down for six. You can make two mistakes before you make the 21-0 down. And, 
you know, to have a one-off game over 40 minutes to decide an Olympic qualifier is, is pretty much a flick of a coin. Um, of course, we will do everything to mitigate and manage those risks. Um, but, you know, you, you've just seen the perfect example over the last two weeks. If we're slightly off, it's a Glasgow result. If we're on the money, it's going to be like Vegas and it's going to be like London. But the margins are so fine and the game is so brutal that, you know, I wouldn't want to be the referee of this 14 minutes because the pressure on him is going to be immense not to make a false call or make a wrong call. Um, so there's going to be lots of pressure, lots of um, variables. All we can do is concentrate on preparing ourselves to be the best we can and, and maintain our discipline and our accuracy throughout the tournament and ensure that we have as much energy come that game against Canada as we did at the weekend um, at the London Sevens. Because what I am confident of is, is if we apply ourselves and we play to our ability, then you know I'm, 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 I'm very confident that, that we will come out on top. But I'm also immensely scared that if we're slightly off, which we have been on occasion, um, we could be on the wrong end. So the final in for the Olympic qualifier will be 14 minutes. I, I, I guess I wasn't even clear on that or what they would do in the gold medal final. Well, I, I'm not clear either whether it's 14 or 20, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> um, you know, it, I mean, this is it. It's, it, it's, it's, it's so much unknown. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Our qualifier is going to come down to one game. The European qualifier is over three legs. You know, you could argue that the, 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 the cream will always come to the top over three legs. Um, so there seems to be very differing, differing approaches to these qualifiers. There's no consistency, which again, you know, I, I, I find somewhat strange and odd that there hasn't been consistency in terms of, in terms of the, the qualifiers. But I mean, there wasn't consistency in the, in the world circuit, really. I mean, you know, you had Scotland and Wales in theory and France on an agenda to try and, it's in their interest for England to qualify. So, it's a funny one, because ultimately what we want at the Olympics are the best 12 teams. Um, but we know that that's not going to happen. Um, about the 20-minute final, I, you know, I was thinking this over the weekend in London, um, and I don't know how, I, to see if you agree with me, but it, there, there aren't a whole lot of teams that are as well-suited for a 20-minute final as you are. I mean, they can put, um, and not just because of Perry and Carlin and the fact that you can have a the fastest guy on the field literally every single minute of a full 20 minutes, but because of some of your depth with some of your big hitters too, um, uh, you're pretty well-fashioned for a 20-minute final versus some other teams uh, are a little bit better suited for a 14-minute final, no? Well, you would you'd say so in theory, but I think I, I think if that game against Canada in Glasgow had been 20 minutes, I, I don't think it would have been 40, I think it would have been 60. Um, <laughs> I think... I mean, and that's what it comes down to. It comes down to margins. It comes down to mindset. And it comes down to making sure that, that as, as a side, you, you are as prepared and are battle-ready as you can be. But, I mean, absolutely, I, I think you're right. I think the reality is our, our balance of physical power, pace, um, both on, on the starting seven, but also what can come off the bench, um, is, is pretty good. Um, you know, it does mean that... Two of them are probably going to have to go the full, the full twenty. But the reality is that such a such a job as Chris Brown done on the conditioning of these boys, that all twelve of them can go for twenty minutes. So, you know, we we are in a good place. We are in a good place. But 
but we, we can't hide from the fact that at times we have been fragile. Um, and that's that's the challenge of this squad as they move into the qualifiers and next season, you know. For us to, to make that transition to be a top four team and be consistently filled by everybody, every two of them, we have to bring that mental resolve and that mental edge to every game. You know, uh, Mike, uh, I was thinking about that in Las Vegas and, uh, you know, make, making the semifinal was uh, uh, an enormous accomplishment for the team. Um, playing in a third-fourth game, that was actually the first time they'd played in a third-fourth game. Mm. And, and that's, um, that's, a, that's a different... That's a different environment for some of the guys, and I, and I I'm not sure that they they quite they quite got. It. I mean, they would they would you you guys would be beaten fairly convincingly by South Africa, a team you'd tied earlier in the tournament. Um, uh, are there little learning steps like that? The idea that you know you just you just lost your big chance to get to the final. Well, guess what? You have to go play another game, and you have to play it as well well as you can play any game, and put as much as you can into finishing third because third matters. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that we've had so many little lessons along the way this year. You know, you talk about that game, you talk about, you know, the, the, the if you take the foot off the pedal when we were 19 nil up against Scotland in Wellington and coasting and looking in control, going for our semi-final and all of a sudden we slip off, we make a couple of mistakes and suddenly we end up losing the game at the whistle 21-19. Um, you know, we've had loads of those little lessons and, and, and they're the growing pains and the learning the learnings as a coach, you know, make your hair turn grey. Um, because you sit there on some occasions and just wonder why and how and question what could you have done and you talk to the boys and they're like, Well, I can't believe it and it's like, Well, hold on, we need to we need to go into this, we need to analyse this, we need to explore it because we need to learn from it. And I'll give them their due that they've they've hit that head on every time and learnt from it. And you know, we've still fallen off the bike. We still we still you know, being knocked down. But the reality is we've got, we've got up every time. They've got up every time. And, you know, I'm a big believer. Sometimes you've got to get it wrong to get it right. Um, and we've certainly lived by that this year. Um, I'm hoping that next year we've done all our getting it wrong to get it right so we can just be consistent and become hard-nosed and everybody can fear us. Um, but, you know, you know, maintaining consistency and performance is a, is a, is, is a grail that everybody strives to achieve and it's the mental resolve and the mental development is such a key part of that because if you look at the most successful team on the circuit over the years New Zealand that is the one trait they have in abundance they have the character and the mental resolve to always believe that they can win a game um, and you can develop that and that can grow and that can come um, as, as players get more experience and they experience different things, be it upsets, be it wins, be it losses. And we're just on that journey and we're just trying to accelerate it with the boys. Um, but I think we got through a fair bit this season. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Are there, are there um, is there one or two players that that are where it's more difficult to leave him home than others? Are there is there are there any players that you, I mean like you don't pick but you think we should recognise as someone who's, you know, a, 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 either a future talent or just somebody who you, it just really, it's tough to leave them home. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got, we've, 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 I think we've got guys that are, are growing and coming through. Stevie Thomason is, is pushing hard. We've got a young Chris Turo, um, who's, you know, just got better and better. 
um, over the year, but you know, he isn't, isn't quite there yet. Um, I'm, I'm interested in Kingsley with Alan. Um, but college has been tough for him this year and he's had to finish his studies. So I think, you know, I'm, I think there's a few that are bubbling under to, 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 to add to the talent pool. Um, and I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to go to, to Philadelphia next week myself. Brownies at Denver this weekend, you know, because that's where we're going to find the new ones. Um, and that's what kind of excites us as well because we've got this talent pool, but we know that there's a load more out there. And Matai proves that. Um, I mean, Matai's development and evolution over the last three or four months has been absolutely fantastic. And I can't speak highly of Chris Brown enough in terms of the physical development and the effort and the commitment he's got from my time, given to my time to get him to where he is. Um, and then the enthusiasm of the, of the ball himself to, to, to get better. And, um, you know, some of his performances at, in London, you know, he's like he'd been there all season. <laughs> not, you know, not arrived from a, from a identification camp in January. So I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a load more like that out there. We've just got to find a way to, 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 to see them. I guess, you know, I, I've always found it interesting what the guys who are in Chula Vista that remain in Chula Vista, and not just guys like Nick Edwards who maybe makes a few tournaments here or there, or Martin is available for, he's not in Chula Vista, but he's available for a few tournaments and then he's not. But, you know, a guy like you mentioned of Stephen Thomason or a guy like Mikey Teo who make virtually no tournaments, what that life is like for a guy like that year in and year out. And I mean, obviously they're working hard towards that goal. Um, but you know, how do you manage that? And, and is that something you um, do a lot of managing with, or is that up to Chris or just kind of up to the players to, to be able to handle it and, and keep going? No, no, no. I mean, we but we're, we, you see, we're, we're always, always working on plans because I think like anything, you don't want to just train. You don't, you feel like a player, you want to play. So if we can't give them opportunities to come the circuit, which we can't, if they're not ready or out or, or, or the competition, then you know this is why these development tournaments where we can go to South America are so important. This is why creating the links to play with the local team that on back um, and Belmont Shore are, are so so important because these boys want to play rugby. Ultimately, they, you know we're all the same, aren't we? We don't want to train; we want to play. Um, and whether it's 15s or 7s, they're still out there play, making playing rugby, making open decisions and getting better at playing the game. Because the two games are the same, ultimately. Once it's got slightly less players on the pitch, um, and we get rid of those scrums and line-outs. Um, and I think, you know, we encourage the boys to play 15s, because I want them to have different experiences of the game. Um, and I'm also encouraging them, this is a big thing for me, is I want them to have other things outside of rugby, because... When it's not going your way, it's a horrible thing being a rugby player because it, it can it can affect you mentally and it can get you down and you know that's not good, that's not healthy, that doesn't allow you to try performance. Whereas if you have outside interests, you maybe are studying, um, you know you have different sets of friends apart from your rugby friends. So again, you're developing your outside of interests and outside skills, and we encourage that. Um, and you know, people like Stevie and Mikey, we're making sure that they've got decent rugby programs. If they're not making the um, the seven squad um, to travel on a World Series, but they're getting their their fair kind of crack at playing the game and enjoying the game, uh, and people outside of the of the group, 
um, as well as, you know, looking to do other things from a more rounded man. I guess this is the last one for me, but if you could, you know, if you, if you stumbled upon a, a you know, a, a genie in a bottle here and you've got three wishes that you could snap your fingers and instantly have three things for the program that would make you successful both in the short term for qualifying for the Olympics and long term for being successful in the Olympics, what are those three things that you really, really need or really, really want? Right, well, okay, number one, as always, will be I need the ability to 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 have a squad of 20, 25 players on on proper contracts that means that they won't get distracted or their heads turned from kind of cheap overseas contracts. So I need to be in a position to put a squad of 20, 25 people on proper, what I call proper rugby contracts where these players are not living like students. They're able to have some luxuries in life, be it take their kids on holiday or be it um, take their, their, their girlfriends out for, for dinner and not fear for the fact that have they got enough money to, to, to get to training. So that would be number one. Number two would be to create a um, a program whereby that we can be it a mentoring program or be it a uh, uh, an internship program where the boys can create and learn outside activities, be it in business, be it trades. You know, in order that they become rounded men and, and balanced men, whilst they whilst they're enjoying and working hard to be rugby players. Um, and then number three, what would number three be? Um, number three, I don't know what number three is. They're the two key things, really. Probably whatever Brownie needs to make him happy. Uh, <laughs> but, um, usually the third one is more wishes, but uh, pardon? I said usually that third wish you use on more wishes. Yeah, well, that was my very my third wish. That would be my service. Whatever Brownie needs in the world of conditioning to make him happy. I think, you know, that, that those those types of, uh, you know, we, we, you know, the way that we, the way that he approaches the whole of the, the conditioning program, you know, is important and um, ensuring that we have the, the right supplements um, and access to the right things are, are so, so important um, because then that allows us to, to prepare the boys and, and then that allows us to, 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 to get us ready for the right time zones a bit earlier and, and means that we can, for want of a word, maybe save some time on travel days. Um, Mike, I know that uh, Pat Clifton's favorite player is Marco Anufe <laughs> and then Alex basically <laughs> did a, you know, why do birds... Is there any possibility that you can make a start front state calendar style where it's Maka Anufe from January to December? And I think that Alex <laughs> and Pat might buy every single one that you have, and they'll paste them all over the house and the apartment and everything but, else. And well, what, what we'll do is we'll actually buy them all, but then we'll give them to the other uh, as gifts. Yeah. So I'll, well, I'll, buy, I'll to... buy half of them and give them to Pat as a gift, and he'll give me the rest as a gift. You'd have to uh, you'd have to give one to my mm-hmm. son Harrison. He he idolises um, Macca. He watches Macca and he watches how he just glides over the ground with his feet. Um, and he's got these obviously when Macca's tired as well. He's got this lovable look where he's like, "I'm done." 
And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're the little, you know, sort of the little weaknesses in Macca as well that make, that make you love him even more because he's, he's just, he's breathtaking to watch at times, but he can also be so frustrating. <laughs> and that's, that's the beauty of the man, you know, and such a gentle man off the pitch. I would really like the announcers on the World Rugby feed to not keep talking about how he converted from football in the fall of 2011. Because oh, yeah. I, I remember watching the high school finals in, uh, and Pat, you were there too. We, we watched the final uh, where Maka scored two amazing tries and five people pulled out their cell phones and immediately called Al Caravelli and said, hey, you got to see this guy. Um, he's been playing high school rugby. He's a product of high school rugby in Utah as much as anything else. Yeah. So I wish they would credit that. Uh, I mean, I agree. But, but, but you know that the, 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 you know this is the point I talk to a lot of people about. Is that you know they, they talk about you know would you want an athlete or a rugby player? So I, I take a rugby player every day of the week, and I said, what you've got to realise is that all these boys, you know, like Macca, Martin, they've all played rugby from the ages of twelve to eighteen and and and, and beyond. They've all tasted it, and they've you know they've got that, that rugby education in them, you know, and it, to take a the true convert probably, which is Perry. He's picked up the game late. It's taken him five years to catch up. But the, the I suppose the the story to tell is he's a convert from American football. He's not. He, he played American football, but he also played rugby, and rugby complemented his American football, and American football complemented his rugby. The fact that he was good at both and had the choice is, is credit to him. And I think this is the big thing to unlock in America. I think if if if, if they can get rugby established in the high schools whereby it's seen as something that can complement American football and not compete then you're going to we're going to improve that talent pool and give them that edu- rugby education from the ages of like 13 to 18 whether they choose to chase that college dream in American football which to be fair if I was 18 and I was given an opportunity I'd, I'd want a piece of that action however good I was at rugby but if you don't make it then you've got choices and I think then you'll, you'll start to see the talent pool swell and the transfer from one to the other, if they decide to follow the rugby route rather than American football, will just explode. And then the sleeping giant will really then awaken. I think we've got a few people right now playing college football who are wait, biding their time until they can come back and play rugby. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about some of those guys before, and then they end up like uh, Johnson Batamosi, Nate Ebner. They end up playing in the NFL because they're yeah. special people. They're special athletes, and, uh, and, and so there's a reason why they end up getting picked. Um, a, a, a question for you, Mike, back to the, the Olympic qualifiers, the NACRA 7s. We're not actually technically supposed to call them Olympic qualifiers. We're supposed to call them the NACRA 7s, right. but you have um, the... T- the title, the Rule 9 uh, ability to draw on some other players. Yeah. Um, do you, are you thinking about that? Or is, uh, are you, do you want to, do you want to ride the, uh, the horses that brought you here? Well, it's interesting. So we, we obviously, we, with the exact injury, we, we bought threatening. Um, and it was a wake up call for threatened. Um, and that was just a training <laughs> session. Um, so look, I think the reality is, I think Threaten is a, is a possibility that he will he will come and compete um, for a, for a, for a place in the squad. He might be he'll be invited if we can if we can agree the release. Um, and the same probably of Walsey. Yeah. 
um, who was expressing interest, and Chris, who who's played a, actually, I had him in my England development seventeen back in two thousand and four, I think it was. Um, Thanks for not picking know, him for I, the uh, full England. Yeah, concept. we we appreciate. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Get him all yeah, uh, think, riled think, up. Yeah, he was. I think that was um, yeah. That's fake to you, isn't it? But um, he. Um, He's expressed an interest, and we'll in, we'll invite him to a camp. But as I've said to Chris, and I said to Threat, and I said, I don't. It doesn't matter how many caps you've got or who you play for. What the best twelve balanced players will go to represent us at Acre. Um And if you're one of them, then great. If you're not, then you'll be expected to support the twelve that are. And, and you know, Wales, he's a pro. He buys into that, and he would want a free ticket. He want to earn his right, and, and threatens very much the same. Um, and that's kind of where we've we've got to as a squad, um, and you know I I can't see them there being any surprises or many surprises, but they're the only two that I would consider uh, or have considered um, inviting to the to the to the camp for uh, for the NACRA. The rest of them will be all familiar names that you know that have already been at, at the camps. Well, I, I've got a uh, Chris Wilde's calendar as well on my wall because I'm a big fan of him <laughs> and how he approaches the game. And also, yeah. you know, we've talked about this before. There's the, the delicate issue with uh, players who uh, grew up overseas and, and how they approach playing for the USA. Do they approach it as an avocation or do they approach it as just a, a means to an end of getting a, a better contract somewhere or notoriety? And, and I don't think anyone can uh, question... Chris Wilde's loyalty to the U.S. national team, considering he's a big old star in the Aviva Premiership and he still wants to play for the Eagles uh, whenever he can uh, and play well for them. So, um, you know, it, people should sort of appreciate what they have in Chris Wiles. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think yeah. he's a fantastic pro. I watch him play yeah. in the Aviva Premiership and his character, his work ethic, his desire is fantastic. And But you see that. You know, I saw that back in 2004, 2005, and you see that when he puts the Eagles shirt, he, he, you know, he's playing for, for for representing that badge and everything that it, it stands for. I think they called him the Swiss Army Knife of the Saracens because he'll play any position. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So. I, um, I have a question for all all of us. It's just a funny question, which is. Do you remember, and can you give me details on the worst rugby hiding you've ever received? Worst, worst um, loss. Right. As a coach or as a player? Uh, well, you can pick either. Right, the worst hiding I received was as a player, which had come just after the biggest fight. So we were, we'd were we gone to Hong Kong in, I think it was 99 or something like that, and uh, we'd been put together and we played South Africa in the quarterfinal. And we weren't given a cat in hell's chance of, of winning the game. And we beat them 19-5 or something. Uh, so we're in the first of the semi-final at Hong Kong, which is England. First semi-final ever. So we were, we were feeling pretty pleased with ourselves. We came up against um, Fiji, Serebi, um and all his crew. <laughs> and it was embarrassing. We lost 54-0, and I'm not sure we touched the ball or touched one of the Fijians. Um, we got tucked up in two yards of space. We got run over. We got run round. And our team was pretty good, like, but we just hadn't trained together. 
or, or you know, we just we just had to get by. So the the trust and the belief and understanding how each of us played wasn't there. Whereas they were like seven ballerinas all in sync, um, and they were seven big ballerinas, and <laughs> all ran like the wind. And um, we walked off that pitch, and to the point where we was like, not not laughing, but just giggling to ourselves and say, like, "Well, there wasn't a lot we could do there." Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a lesson and a half, <laughs> a lesson and a half. Thanks. I can imagine, Bruce. Bruce, you've never lost a game, but but if you were to lose a game, what was the worst loss you ever? Uh, we we were playing all blue in four point try era, and uh, you could still maul in from the one yard line. And about eleven of our guys decided that they weren't going to play that week, and it was you know we we had a full fifteen, but we didn't have a, by any stretch the right fifteen, and. Uh, we got the living hell kicked out of us, like seventy-four to six or something, and it was it was embarrassing. It was horrible, and I was furious. And I remember the Thursday prior that some of the club officers and stuff were talking about how important this game was, and if we win, we're going to go to the playoffs and all this crap. And they canceled practice and went to the bar to talk about how great they are. And I'm sitting there with like two or three other guys going. If you're canceling a Thursday practice to go drinking and you think we're going to win on Saturday, we have another thing coming. And my God, we took it on the chin every which way but loose. It was horrible. I broke my ribs, pulled my hamstring, finished the game. It was, I separated my, it was ridiculous. It, I was a freaking, I got trampled. It was horrible. But uh, you live and you learn. Yeah, you learn. Pat? I have lost by more points than this game by a lot. We probably lost by about 45, but Division Three men's club, the last game to decide her to go to the playoffs, playing the Wichita Barbarians, and about a foot of snow starts rolling in that morning, and a couple of idiots on our team decided that we can't cancel the game because we're going to have some mental edge because it's a home game for us, and Wichita's got to travel, travel three and a half hours in the snow, and they're going to that's somehow going to help us win the game. So we're shoveling the sideline, shoveling the 22, shoveling all the lines to keep the snow off so we can still play the game. They stop and call us about five times along the way to say, are we still playing? Are we still playing? Sure enough, they show up and pants us in a foot of snow by about 45 points, oh my um, which made it all the more demoralizing. Yeah, in the snow. Well, I, I, I think I have two, but I'll, I, I was the co-founder of – the Bud Bay Rugby Club here in Olympia, Washington, and I actually have the uh, the honor of scoring the first try in a sevens tournament um, on a quick tap, but that wasn't the first game we played. The first game we played was also in that sevens tournament against Orsu, and uh, the, uh, the guy caught the kickoff, looked at me, and ran right over me. Stomp it low mode me completely into the ground. I think the my my body left an impression in the grass, and we lost fifty seven nothing in that. And that was just a sevens game. Um, we learned a lot from that. And my other one would be uh, uh, Haberdashers Ask School uh, under sixteens against uh, Loughborough College, uh, the the high school where uh, we, we, had, we had a terrible team. We kept losing. Every year we were losing a lot. We showed up with our new coach, Doug Eavesley, who is a great coach and a fine county cricketer for Middlesex as well. And um, we lost 46 nothing. And we had been told every year that we didn't 
care and we didn't try and we didn't work hard. And uh, after that game, our uh, Doug looked at us and said, I've never seen anybody try so hard and lose 46 nothing." This was four-try era. Um, but I guess there's a lesson there because we learned from that. We finished with our first winning season of, uh, with that group of kids. Um, but it all started with a 46 nothing hiding. I suppose you can learn from that too. So, uh, but it's fun to look back at losses. I mean, because usually you pick, you, you realize this whole game, and and Mike, I guess, circling around talking about Canada and talking about uh, that tough game is this game is so much about taking a knock, taking a hit, and picking yourself back up and still going. Yeah, it is, and learning from it. You know, like I say, you've got to get it wrong to get it right, um, and you just hope that at the important time you do get it right. Yeah, so Mike talked about losing to Cerevi, and we talked about losing in a public park with rocks and fucking needles all over the place. It's the same thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Scary. Uh, Mike Friday, uh, I, I think we speak for um, every USA uh, national team fan when we say that we're, uh, we're proud as fans and, and we're, we're supposed to be uh, on-the-fence journalists, but it's exciting to see the U.S. national team play so well, see people notice, at least outside the United States, and see them win this tournament and get people thinking, not only qualifying for the Olympics, but hey, you know, maybe there's a medal possibly uh, in the offing if they if they continue to play well. It's been really, really fun to watch these players. It's really exciting to watch them play so well. Um, and and I think uh, you gave us a lot of insight today and in, uh, in how that happened. So thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. All right. Well, just to remind you that Rugger Matrix International Show is on RuggerMatrix.com. Uh, you can check out the Rugger Matrix America show on that, too. You can also check it on iTunes. You can download it from Golf Rugby Report. You can pretty much do everything. You can, you can perhaps use the uh, audio file to uh, create an image file of Maka Nufe that you can put on your wall. It's all possible for you. Reminder that... Uh, Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. You can check out Pat Clifton's work on rugby today, even as he's coaching the, the fabulous Lindenwood Belleville team. We'll be keeping an eye on them. You can check out Bruce McLean's work with the uh, Iona College rugby team and uh, his coaching assistants with a variety of places. Still, still dabbling with the New York Athletic Club, it seems. And you can check out my work on Golf Rugby Report. Uh, Mike Friday, thank you very much for listen, uh, for being on the show. And for everybody, thank you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. Rugga Matrix America.